Hey, Tyler Shields here, pastor of Rock House Baptist Church. I want to personally thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. We pray that the message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to be the person that God desires you to be. Be sure to check us out online at rockhousebaptist.org where you can find out more about how to connect, grow, and go. And now, today's message. So we're going to get a little bit of a history lesson this morning. We're going to go all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter 8. And this is a story about ancient Israel and their desire to have a king. You see, it wasn't God's plan for them to have a king. God wanted his people to follow him so closely that he could be their king and they could walk and live in the presence of God and they wouldn't even need a ruler over them. Of course, they were a lot like us and they kind of blew that idea. And so along the way, they, they asked for a king, just like all the other nations had. And this is a period in biblical history coming out of the period of the judges. You read that book of Judges, and it was just a terrible, terrible time in the history of God's people. There's some stories in the book of Judges, I'll be honest with you, I probably would not read out loud and preach about on Sunday morning in a mixed group like this. It's pretty horrific. And God's people just continue to turn their back on God, and they come to this point, they come out of the judges, and, and they're like, they told the prophet Samuel, they said, we want a king, just like all these other nations that we live amongst. And this kind of picks us up in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. Samuel's the prophet, the one that's tried to keep the people of Israel on track. He's been talking to the Lord, and, and he's kind of the intercessor between the people and God. And it says, when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. Wow, this is just a recurring theme throughout this part of the Bible. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They're doing really uh, the responsible thing by going to Samuel and saying, hey, man, this ain't working. But they asked for the wrong thing. So all the elders uh, came to Samuel in verse 5. They said to him, you're old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. And so he did the right thing and he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Now, when you're out trying to witness to somebody, or you're just trying to be that source of hope and inspiration to somebody's life, and they keep shooting you down, whether it's family or friends or, or co-workers or whatever it might be, remember this verse. This is... You don't think of this as an evangelism verse, but go back and don't get discouraged. Remember what God told to Samuel. Listen to what the people are saying. It's not you they've rejected, but me as their king. Verse 8, as they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they're doing to you. Now listen to them. 
but warn them solemnly and let them know that the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. And he said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses. And they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plow his ground and to reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He'll take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys, he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his slaves. And when that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Uh, At this point, I begin to have second thoughts, you know, about wanting a king. But look at what verse 19 says. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king to rule over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and to fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it to the Lord. And the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. So they get their king. The story goes on, and Samuel finds the man that's going to be the first king of the nation of Israel. His name is Saul. He's an incredible man, a a big, strong, good-looking man. Uh, He was exactly what the people were looking for. And throughout the history, you know, time would go on, and they would have some good kings. After Saul would come King David, then King Solomon, and then they'd have some bad kings. And even when you read about the good ones, even the best kings failed. King David failed, Solomon failed, and things go on, and eventually the the worst kings, the evil men, would lead the people not only into defeat, most importantly, they'd lead the people away from God. Eventually, the kingdom of Israel was divided north and south, Israel and Judah. The Kingdom of Israel really never had any good kings. They were all just rotten people, just bad guys. Kingdom of Judah had some good ones, and then they'd have some bad ones. No perfect ones. Some were pretty good. You think about people like King Josiah that brought the revival into the the land. He He restored people to what the Lord had told them to do and brought people closer to God. But then even when you had a really good king like King Josiah, you have two or three reigns of just evil, evil people. And when these people, when these kings were bad, they were really bad. I mean, they didn't just, they weren't just bad at being a leader. They were bad at being a person. Look at, for example, in 2 Kings chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. In the seventh year of uh, James, son of Bill, Ahaz, son of George, you know you're allowed to insert names you can't pronounce, right? It's in the Bible. It says, if thou art from eastern Kentucky and canst pronounce properly. That's not in your Bible. Y'all need to read the Bible more. 
<laughs> but verse 2 says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. 20 years old. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 16 years. Unlike David, his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord our God. That's such a common phrase throughout this period of history. Verse 3 says, He followed the ways of the kings of Israel and even sacrificed his son in the fire, engaging in the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. You see, they wanted to be like all the other nations of the world because they thought if they had a king and they had an army and they could go out and fight and conquer and, and they could have some organization and that all these great things would happen. But just being like everybody else is not always the best thing as we, we see here. It says he offered sacrifices and burned incense at the high places on the hilltops and under every spreading tree. By trying to practice living like all the other nations, they began to practice worshiping like all the other nations. Eventually, Israel and Judah would be completely and totally conquered. The people would be exiled from their homes, taken from their land, and banished to some faraway place. And the words of the prophet Samuel came true. Samuel warned them. He said, yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. And when Jerusalem was finally conquered, the great city, the holy city, when it was finally conquered, the last king of the monarchy, King Zedekiah, he almost got away. And he snuck out, but he was tracked down on the plains of Jericho, and he was captured by the Babylonians. And they held him captive while they murdered his sons in front of him. And then they gouged his eyes out and hauled him off into captivity to Babylon, where he would die as a prisoner of war. And this trend not only continued through the history of Israel and Judah, but really through every other nation that set up a king. Every nation that refused to live under the rule of God suffered under the rule of a man or a woman. Even our own nation realized this early on in our history. We realized that we wanted to be out from under the rule of a king. To escape tyranny and suppression, to find liberty and freedom and to be able to pursue what it is that makes us happy. Yet I'll, I'll even, I'll say it, even in a republic, we still have a very serious issue. That's the issue that sin causes. And all the best leaders in the world, and all the great kings of old, and all these wonderful people, as good as some of them were, could not stop the problem and the many problems that sin brought to people and to nations. For us, it still pervades our society, just like it did ancient Israel and ancient Judah. But fortunately, God had a plan. God had a plan that even though we rejected him as our king, he was still going to send a king that would not only rule over us appropriately and very graciously, but a king that could finally deal with the problems that sin caused us. I love what Jeremiah the prophet in 23 verses 5 through 6, and I know we're looking at a lot of different verses this morning, but I want you to get the big picture 
of Jesus as our king this morning. Look what the prophet Jeremiah says when he records what God said. He said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. And I love this. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. Now, who could that be? <laughs> who in the world is he talking about? This branch of David, this righteous king that was going to come and rule wisely and save the people. Well, I don't think it's any coincidence that once we flip over into the New Testament and we're reading about these things surrounding the life of this man, Jesus, that in the second chapter of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 2, these men come to see King Herod. And we call them wise men. And they come into King Herod and, and they say, where is this one that is born king of the Jews? You see, they knew that a king had come. They had been following the history of these people. They'd been reading about the words of the prophets that God was going to raise up a branch for David, that he was going to send a king that could solve all these problems once and for all. But this, this is what we've got to talk about today. What kind of king was Jesus? What kind of king is Jesus going to be? They didn't find him in a palace, but in a lowly stable. He was not greeted by servants and all these fancy people, but he was just visited by some shepherds and some travelers from afar. And he got older, he talked about his kingdom, but he said, you know, my kingdom's not of this world. Kind of crazy talk, people thought. He had no army, no military, just a wild band of fishermen and a bunch of no-gooders that followed him around everywhere he went. Yeah, he was a great teacher. Yeah, he was a healer, a miracle worker, a prophet, but a king? I'm sure this is a question that some of his followers asked from time to time because they thought and they were waiting for him to break out and, and be the one that was going to conquer the Romans and bring Israel back to all this glory and be this conquering and, and war-winning king. I'm sure they wondered during those three years of his ministry. Finally, at the end of his life, he was arrested, and he was tried for claiming to be royalty, for claiming to be the very son of God, the king of the Jews. Herod would go on to place a king's robe on his back and to strip it off and mock him. The soldiers would put a king's crown, a crown of thorns on his head and put a staff in his right hand and make fun of him, only to take the staff out of his hand and to beat the crown deeper into his scalp. Then they spat on him. And as he hung on a cross to die, a sign even read, this is the king of the Jews. But what kind of king 
was Jesus. After they laid him in the tomb, we know that he came back to life. That's pretty awesome. And then when he came back to life, he started talking about what? He started talking about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And he began to explain to his followers what it meant to be a part of the kingdom of God, a kingdom that has no end. What kind of king is Jesus? Well, he's the kind of king that would leave his throne and the glory and the, the majesty of his courts and come down into our dark world for you. There's not many kings that would do that. He's a king that would not only fight for you, but would willingly lay down his life for you. A king that not only conquered nations, but a king that conquered death, hell, the grave, and sin once and for all. And he's the king that the Bible teaches is also coming back for you. Not a tyrant, not a dictator. Jeremiah the prophet says he is the Lord, our righteousness. Or some translate the Lord, our righteous Savior. He may not have seemed very kingly when he came the first time. And I think that's just part of God's really odd sense of humor. You know, that he would send the king of all kings to be just a poor man that was born in a manger to some normal people. But John goes on to tell us a little bit more of the story. See, this story doesn't end yet. John tells us that when Jesus comes back, things are going to be a little bit different than they were the first time around. And in the last book of the Bible, in, almost at the very end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 19, John has this incredible vision of what it's going to be like when the king finally returns. Listen to what John saw. He says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse <laughs> whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head is no longer a crown of thorns, but are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And verse 16 says, On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the king. I want to share something with you this morning. It's so beautiful. Uh, I can't take credit for writing it, uh, or I would, because it's that good. But several years ago, many years ago, there was a, a good preacher, a great preacher, by the name of Dr. S.M. Lockridge. This guy apparently was destined to be a preacher because S.M. stands for Shadrach, Meshach, Lockridge. And he just simply went by S.M. So... But he penned these words as part of a sermon. And you can, you can Google it. There's some really great videos to go along with it. 
And he simply uses this phrase, this, that's my king. And he describes what it means for Jesus to be the king. Let me read this to you. The Bible says he's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's my king. He says, my king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessings. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him today? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's the center savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled and he's unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the core and the necessity for spiritual religion. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. And he's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. Do you know this king today? He goes on to say he supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. He goes on to say, <laughs> He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. The pathway of peace the roadway of righteousness, the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know this king? Well, his office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goods, goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes, and his word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous, and his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but really he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind, and you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, but you can't live without him. You know, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they, they found that they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's the king. Would you stand with us? Let's praise the king this morning. There's so much that we have to be thankful for. And let's just sing this simple line. Jesus, you are my king. 
Thanks again for tuning in today. And remember, the greatest decision that you could ever make is to place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation and begin a personal relationship with Him. Again, thanks for listening. God bless.